I'm so happy to be here again today with Dr. Michael Levin and Dr. John Verveke. Um, Dr. John Verveke of the University of Toronto and Dr. Michael Levin of Tufts University. For a, a more detailed uh, introduction, you can see the link to our previous conversation in below the video. Um, both of these gentlemen, are they teach, they research, they write, and they share their knowledge and creativity on YouTube. So we're really thankful for that. Um, we left off in our last conversation talking about the placebo effect and the implications of that. Those are big ideas. And um, I wanted to set up just one more idea to kind of go along with that. And this comes from something that Mike said in the previous discussion about his xenobots. And um, you mm -hmm. had said, Mike, that when you liberate the frog cells from the boring two-dimensional layer, they make this thing called xenobot. And the, the implication that, that you talked about was that the cells are more creative, more free, more dynamic when they're no longer carrying out their task as skin cells. So I know John's emphasis on community and how important community is. And so um, if they're no longer a part of the whole, then they're no longer carrying out their essential responsibilities in the whole for the good of the whole organism. And, and so it seems to me that at the bottom of this whole idea of cognition and consciousness is this idea somehow of choice, this and not that. And choice seems to imply to me that there has to be some knowledge or understanding of the state that one is in. I'm in this state and not that state. and and in the state that I'm in, then I have to be aware of the other, in this case, the cells, the other cells around me, what state are they in? And what state do I need to get to? I know it sounds like I'm anthrop anthropomorphizing, but I don't know how else to describe this. So um, that seems to imply some sort of sacrifice to make a choice to execute the rule rather than to go off and do what I want to do because the, in, in the skin cells um, situation, they have a responsibility to hold the organism together. <laughs> and if they go off and do their own thing, I mean, if they did just go off and do their own thing without your help, that would obviously um, be the end of the organism. So I'm just, I just want to throw that in there, this whole idea of knowledge and choice and how that seems to imply some sort of a value hierarchy and um, throw that in with your placebo effect and see where it goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let, let's um, let me, let me back up uh, a little bit uh, to, to be really clear on what I am and I'm not claiming about the Xenobots and then we can talk about um, choice and value and all that. Um, what, what I was saying is that uh, what we are liberating these cells from are the instructive interactions with other cells that normally uh, get them to do this particular kind of behavior. And, and, and we know this, this, this is just an experimental result that when you isolate them in a way that they don't have these other signals, this is what, what they do now. Um, okay. So now I'm, I'm not, here's what I'm not claiming. I'm not claiming that any of this thing, any of this process, either at the level of the cells or at the level of the xenobots has a high level of agency. We actually don't know, right? We we don't we have we are in the process now, but we haven't published anything on the capacity of these um, 
these processes to solve problems, to pursue goals, to have memories, to, uh, you know, no, we, we haven't published anything on that. So I'm not claiming anything whatsoever about that. So let's, let's for the moment, put aside um, this, this idea of um, uh, uh, how much, you know, how much uh, agency they have, because it, it certainly is possible to make decisions, to make decisions and take choices without knowing what the consequences are going to be, right? So if you're a rat in a maze and you've got two doors, you got to go in one or the other, you have no idea what's on the other side. You still have to make a choice of some sort. Mm -hmm. So so, so decision-making and, and competent behavior does not imply some sort of high-level metacognition that you know what's going to happen next. That you So I'm not claiming any of that stuff. So let's just... Um, because we, we don't know yet. And I really believe that this is an empirical question. You can't decide this in an armchair, just sitting, oh my God, look at them. They're so cute. You know, they're definitely, you know, have cognition <laughs> or conversely, the way people mostly do it is they say, well, I don't see a brain in the cortex there. So forget it. They must have zero. Like, so, so I don't think either of those things works. I think you have to do experiments and we, we have, are still in the process. However, um, uh, to 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 uh, address your, your other point about the value of, of these different levels. Look, it's very easy for us as because right now who's having this conversation are are the these emergent human intelligences that are talking at a particular level we also have all kinds of other um uh, uh, other selves in our bodies you know your organs your tissues there's lots of other things but they're not verbal they're not having this conversation so it's very easy for us at this level to put a value a high value on being a body of this of, of a particular size and to say that well, when these skin cells uh, shirk their duty, as do cancer cells and failed embryos and whatever, this is terrible. They, you know, yeah, they go off on their own to do some other single cell things, things that make amoebas very happy, right? So amoebas do great on their own as single cells. They don't participate in making nice bodies. And we, from our sort of vantage point, say, well, that's not as good. What you really want is a nice, you know, complex or, you know, complex organism. And these cells are basically just, uh, for whatever reason, they're failing to accomplish that. However, uh, the thing is that that's that's a very um, that's a view from a very specific perspective of scale and organization. So we have to be really careful of that because one can take that to its logical conclusion and say, ah, in that case, all of us humans should join some particular greater thing. And what happens to us doesn't matter. This thing will have its own goals in some in some other space, and 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 right. So we know how that works out. Like that's been tried, right, in society. We know how that that works out. That can that can work out very badly. And so I think we have to we have to realize that you have to be really careful with value judgments on these things because and this this is an the um kind of one way to look at what a composite self is or a composite agent is that it gets the parts to do things they otherwise would not do. If the parts are already doing things they would do anyway, then you've got a pile or a heap. You don't have a, 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 right, a coordinated agent. So a coordinated agent harnesses their parts towards some kind of action in a, in a different space that the parts wouldn't normally be doing. And in the body, this happens all the time. Your cells would be off having having lovely you know lives as amoebas going wherever they want, proliferating as much as they want. We don't let them do the, the body doesn't let them do that because otherwise, right? You 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 don't have a proper anatomy. So, so um, that's that's what it is to be part of a, a, a larger agent is to do things you otherwise wouldn't want to do, which is great from the perspective of that agent. Maybe not so great from the perspective of the parts, and it's hard for us to take the perspective of single cells. But it may also be hard for large scale structures, such as certain social structures, to take the perspective of individual humans and value those as well.
right? So, so I think we have to be really careful about about stuff like that, about about putting, um, about just acknowledging the perspective that that when you know when we make these value judgments, we're we're using a very specific perspective. So I would say then, and then I'll, I'll stop here and, and, and see what John thinks, but um, I would say that it is not the case that they are, that, that, that individual cells are somehow better off as bodies and that, and that the xenobots are not as good as proper embryos and the skin really ought to be behaving as good skin. I would say not those things. I would say what you have here is an amazing evolution uh, produces this amazing hardware that is able to scale its agency and it can do that in many different ways. So you've got molecular networks that can that can work together to produce a cell and get those molecular pathways to do things that chemistry does not do on its own. And those cells in certain circumstances can work together to make an embryo. In other cases, they can work together to be a xenobot. Who knows what else they can, you know, they can be um, coaxed to build. And uh, all of those things are, are manifestations of the amazing ability of the scaling of cognition, which of course we're just beginning to understand. This is a beautiful answer. Uh, um, uh, I, I think I'm going to say something that's convergent with what uh, Michael said, but um, maybe a bit divergent. I'm not sure. And we, we can uh, throw it back and forth. Um, I would, my initial way of responding to you, Karen, would be to invoke uh, Urero's notion of constraint. Um, we can talk about sort of bottom-up causation and top-down constraint. Uh, causes are events. Uh, constraints are conditions. Causes are happenings. Constraints are orderings of probability. Um, and mm. you can look at, like, think of the, the uh, an example I like to use, uh, taken from Iraro, ultimately inspired by Aristotle, who has a deep influence on Iraro. You have all the microcosmic events creating the structure of the tree, but the structure of the tree increases the probability that a chlorophyll molecule will interact with a photon mo molecule. Uh, so by participating in the, the tree structure, uh, the chlorophyll molecule has a much greater chance of interacting with proton, um, and uh, and so you 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 have to think about these layers in in these sort of you shouldn't think them as as just what I'm what am I, what I'm trying to say you shouldn't think of it as like a single ontological relation. It is a causal emergence up and a constraint emergence down. And that means any simple value assignment, here's where I'm agreeing with Michael, is going to be very problematic because your ontological relations are, are not just, a, a, like if you're just doing a hierarchy, you're presuming a single ontological relation between the levels. But if there are two kinds of relations, that challenges how you're going to attach valuation to the levels. So in that sense, I'm in agreement with him. But then it's even more complicated because constraint there are two kinds there are selective which reduce the probabilities for a particular system and there's an enabling but they're relative to interactions with the environment so yes uh, the skin cells uh, get a certain kind of freedom and 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 it's liberated when they're removed from these constraints but the thing is those, those selective constraints are also counterbalanced by a whole bunch of enabling constraints. The skin cells, by being part of an organism, have a much greater chance of surviving, can move to many different environments they couldn't move to on their own because they belong to this multicellular creature. And then the same with us. We as individuals can't go into space, but because we belong to culture, we can go into space. So you have to see constraints in this trait 
no surprise I'm going to make this argument in a trade-off relationship where you have this, like you lose some things because of the selective constraints that constrain you into the system, but you are you also acquire a whole bunch of enabling constraints that allow you to do things you couldn't do otherwise. So what that means is when we try to make a value judgment, we're actually trying to do with deal with a multidimensional thing. We have two ontological relations and we have two kinds of constraints. And so simply trying to map it hierarchically like if this gets better and better or something like that, it's extremely problematic. Uh, in one sense, it's better because I've got enabling constraints. In another sense, it's better because it's worse because I have selective constraints on me, right? And in one sense, the bottom level is more important. It's where all the causal lymph comes from. And another sense, the top level is important because it's where all the constraint comes from. Um, and so I think one of the things we have to move towards especially if we're doing sort of a post-nominalist Neoplatonism, is we have to move from a simple hierarchy. And I know this is going to get me more and more in discussion with Jonathan Peugeot, and I'm happy about that. Uh, we, we had a fantastic time at the Consciousness and Con uh, Conscience Conference. Um, but um, I, I think those models of a very simple hierarchy of ontology and hierarchy of value mapping onto each other in an isomorphic fashion. I think we're sort of, we have to get past that. Um, I think just like our judgments about what is a chair, we tried forever to reduce it to like necessary and sufficient conditions, nice linear model. We just add it together and we discovered, no, no, what make a chair is this dynamic, multi-complex, you know, trade-off relationships between all these features that is constantly shifting around depending on the context and the task. I think the same thing is the case when we're trying to make value judgments about our ontologies. Um, I do think we should, I, I do want to say two things, and this is where there might be divergence, but I'm not, I don't think so, given our last conversation. I think emergence without emanation is epiphenomenalism, and epiphenomenalism is, is an ontological uh, oxymoron. I, I think it's a monster that... Um, saying that there are things that exist that don't have causal or at least uh, influential powers, constraint powers. I think that make, that doesn't make any sense uh, because uh, you, you're, you're claiming that in some sense they exist, but they're unknowable. Um, um, so there's that. And the, the, the second thing is um, we are probably biased in a way we're not acknowledging but in a very confused way, um, so this is a bit of a diagnosis and a proposal, we are crypto-privileging the level at which we do science because we need to privilege that level and consider it real so that all, all the conclusions we draw about all the other levels don't get challenged as, uh, as illusions. But we have an ontology that doesn't give any special place uh, for the level at which we do the science and tries to say, ultimately, in many cases, only the bottom level is really real. Um, and for me, that's very, very problematic. And so I think we're doing this weird thing um, where we are, are we are simultaneously sort of, I don't, I don't want to sound Freudian here, but sort of, in, I'll say implicit, not unconscious. We're implicitly acknowledging this level at which we do science has some kind of special epistemic status and therefore a kind of ontological realness we need to give it while we usually play the game within the scientific worldview that only the bottom level is real. So insofar as that misvaluation is the in case, 
in place. I do think we need to reconsider how we attach realness, which is the problem with real is it's a thick uh, predicate. It's both descriptive and normative. You're both saying something about it and you're also praising it because it's a comparative term. Um, real things are better than non-real things, uh, for example. Um, and so what I'm saying is that I get, and one of the needs that I think is behind your question, Karen, is we need to acknowledge the importance or the value of these upper levels because they have been neglected by our scientific worldview in a way that puts us in a permanent performative contradiction. So that part I want to agree with, but I don't think that's in contradiction with everything I said about that doesn't mean there's a simple one-to-one -one mapping between hierarchical levels um, and, and valuation. So I tried to make a case for uh, acknowledging what I think was an important part of your question that needs to be addressed, which is, look, the level at which we do science has to be really real in some important sense, right? And so there is that valuation, or it's, we get into performative contradiction, but I don't think that maps us into a simple hierarchy uh, of valuation. And in that in that uh, way, I think I'm in complete agreement with Michael. So I was trying to say yes and no, but in a really complicated way that as philosophers are taught, <laughs> so that you didn't notice that I was saying yes and no. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you went into detail because I have like 15 pages that I tried to coalesce into that question because I've spent probably 20, 25 hours talking to a physicist on my channel about his idea that rather than information being fundamental, it's actually computation that is fundamental. Mm -hmm. But not computation in the sense of computers, but computation in the sense of, um, he, the way he describes it is a symphony of choices over time. Mm -hmm. And that there is this sense in, in which that kind of computation, the simplest example of which would be a finite state machine, is what is fundamental in the universe. And so there's lots more to be said about that, but I wanna let you guys talk, but I did wanna address one thing that you said, John, which was um, this idea of constraints and kind of the way I got into this whole conversation is through my work as an artist. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I learned early on in my pursuit of creativity is that constraints that I arrange for myself um, hyper-generate creativity. Mm -hmm. And the tighter the constraints that I make for myself, the more creativity comes out of that, right? Yeah. And so would that be one of those kind of constraints that you talked about or an entirely different kind of constraint? Oh, no, because, I, I think that... that kind of constraint is definitely not a rule but it's a self-imposed constraint that puts me in a box so that I'm forced to generate creativity outside that box. I think the, the, I think you are talking about enabling constraints. Um, I, I, there's never enabling constraints without selective constraints, but the, 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 and you can see them in your example, of, like the box, you know, the, the mental framing. If you don't have that constraint, you're going to face combinatorial explosion yeah, of options. Exactly. It's going to overwhelm your agency that's there's how no... i got interested in you <laughs> yes but 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 that that also means there's selection uh which means right there's the selective constraint that you ignore a lot of stuff 
Um, and those two are working together in order to, well, you, you, yeah, right. They play off against each other. Um, you can sort of flex, if you'll allow me to use a metaphor, you can flex the frame, you can allow it some variation. Um, well, in uh, that sense, wouldn't the enabling that selective well, be roughly order and chaos and that when you're writing that edge between order and chaos, that's where the creativity comes in? It, yeah, insofar as order and chaos, I think map well, onto- So you could say stability and flexibility or or something like that. Plasticity, yeah. you got integration- uh, uh, differentiate accuracy and expression. Yeah, yeah. and there's it's it's not a coincidence that all these polarities keep showing up, um, and they show up in the fundamentals of you know Darwin's theory of evolution, etc. You have variation and selection, um, etc. Um, and 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 and, I, and and the point I'm making is um, that is you know you can see this at multiple and and this is part of i think in michael's work you can see these general principles at multiple levels we talked about this last time that the concern i have before i forget by the way you should put your the person you're talking to the work of my colleague brian cantwell smith uh the origin of objects uh he made an argument for the fundamental property being computation in this extended sense a while ago and you might want to take a look at that work um but uh, this, the, the, the worry I have, and here's where I wanted to touch on one thing and then give it back to Michael. I share his concern about acknowledging the continuity has to be kept separate from reductionism or a kind of pan, a kind of, you know, I don't know what to call it, something like a sloppy panpsychism or something. What I mean by that is, Continuity. If you just say it's identical all the way down, then you can reduce the upper level to the bottom level. A lot of right. That, this is one of the deep problems with people who want to make strong identity claims. All well, mind is just is just is, and then you. It, the only thing that's really real is the quantum level, right? And, and so you want to be careful about. I, I, I understand we have to speak anthropomorphically because, as I said, we're bound at this level in very important ways. But extending agency um, all the way down, uh, you know, and we have to, right, that's, uh, that's challenging. Um, um, I, I think Michael's right, what I heard him saying, that we have to be able to talk about problem solving um, in, 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 in a really robust and measurable way before we attribute agency. Um, and so... Uh, I worry about the no notion. Of, I here's what I would say back. I don't know what talking about choice is without agency. It seems to me we've slipped from the notion of alternative to choice, which slides in agency in a way that needs an additional justification. So we want a simultaneous. Like we don't want. We want the deep continuity hypothesis says pay attention to both the deep identities and the deep differences. And <clears throat> that maps onto what I was saying before about we don't have a simple linear hierarchy. Sorry, Michael, I've been talking too much. No, no, that's great. I was, I was uh, really great stuff. Um, I think that, uh, so, so, so I'll, I, I've, I've two things to, to, to say, um, one, one about, uh, just, just real quick, this, this idea of, um, constraining yourself for creativity. I think that's part of a broader class of 
behavior shaping that we do with others and with ourselves, right? So, so it's related to, for example, um, if, if you know you're addicted to smoking, one thing that sometimes people will do is they will throw their car keys outside at night, right? Because they know that even though there's a part of you that's addicted and will want to run to the store and get your cigarettes, the barrier of going outside and finding your key, there'll be too much. And that way you can sort of, right? So so people do the people do this with food and, you know, they put locks on the refrigerator. And we're like, what do you do? Like, who are you fooling this way? Well, your behavior shaping aspects of your own behavior. You're, you're, you're shaping your the energy landscape for your future self. So that certain things become easier or harder, right? And I do, certainly we do that thing with creativity all the time. But but the other the other thing I wanted to say about what John just said, really interesting. So 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 here's here's what I would do with that uh, in terms of choice and decision making and agency. I view all of this stuff as a continuum. So of, of scale. So so what I would say is instead of binary categories where we do or we do not attribute choice decisions agency i would say we have a continuum like this and i'll and this these are hard very difficult things but i'll take a stab at at like you know a 1.0 version of what a what, what what is a decision really right what's a decision um and if we because because of course we want to be able to go all the way down and say okay here's a here's a ball rolling down a hill here's a particle decaying here's a uh some other kind of more complex system of physics uh you know pendula and whatnot uh is that a decision or is that just, you know, just physics? So, so what I would say is this, something is a decision to the extent that, meaning it's going to be, an, it's going to be, an, it's not a binary thing. It's going to be a number of some sort. It's a decision to the extent that you need to, the, to the extent that you need to consider some radius of events in space and time in explaining what just happened. So if I have a billiard ball, and uh, it gets hit by another billiard ball, there's a very small radius of things you need to be able to explain what just happened. There's some physical forces right at the thing. It's right there. And that's that's pretty much all you need. On the other hand, if, uh, if, if you've got a cat and it does some kind of thing, it might be because of something it's expecting in the future. It might be because of, say, it got scared of something yesterday and it still remembers. It might be because it can see around the corner or something else. So, so the, uh, the radius, right, that light cone of things that impinge on that event, what just happened gets bigger and bigger. And if you're a human, maybe you're doing things because of what happened during World War II and because of what you expect the financial markets to do, you know, years down the line. The, 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 the scope of things you need to know to, 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 to efficiently uh, predict and control what just happened are of different sizes. And something is a decision to the effect, to the extent that it is not, that, that outcome is not um, entirely explained by local forces, but it's actually explained by other things that are distant in space and time to some distance. So, so then, then we have a nice continuum because you can put, you can put all kinds of things on that on that continuum. You say, well, that's 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 kind of a, a, a big decision, or that's really not much of a decision at all. That's just a you know piece of mechanics. And anywhere in between, then then I think we don't have to make binary categories. We just have to think about what are the um, causally uh, beneficial uh how, how far out do you really need to go to, to tell a to tell a, a, an efficient story about what's going to happen here so, so i think i agree if i could just pop in for one second john um i wanted to respond to that i think that's such an interesting idea because one of the things that we talked about in this whole aspect of computation is if you look at cellular automata they they have a the rule that they're executing which is um, and sometimes the pattern is uh, easy to discern, and sometimes the pattern becomes computationally irreducible, depending on what the rule is that they're executing. But for 
a cellular automata, if if it was, if you could imagine a cellular automata that could execute the pattern on its own, what would be required for a cellular automata, each cell to, to execute the pattern on its own, it would need to know what is to its left and what is to its right and what is above it. And, and, and if it knew those things, then it could execute the pattern because it would understand its state. And so this, this idea of, um, you know, when you're talking about the extent, the, 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 the radius of what needs to be there, I think that that fits kind of in with what you're talking about that, that um, because the pattern only arises when every cell in the community of cells is executing the rule. So I don't know how to get at this. <laughs> Just forget that I brought it up. Um, I'll find another way to describe it in the future, but it's this idea of a, a finite state machine needs to, for example, a lock and key. If you have a lock and a key, the key goes into the lock and the lock makes a determination of whether or not that key fits so that when the when the key turns, the lock opens. That determination is made by the way that the lock itself is constructed. So a lock and a key requires more than just the radius of the lock and the key. It requires the construction of the lock and the shaping of the key. So there's something outside that radius. Now with maybe, the billiard maybe. ball, there's nothing outside the radius, right? Except the person that hit the ball that caused it to come over and hit the other ball. Maybe, I, I would push back on the lock and key thing because I would say from the perspective of the, uh, the, the, pre, the, the agent trying to predict what's going to happen, do you really need to know? I mean, you could want to know the life story of the locksmith who made it and why and whatnot, but you don't actually need any of that. that like that doesn't give you any extra power to know whether the thing's going to open the lock or not. Right. Mm -hmm. So the entire, right, you, you're, you gain very little predictive, if any, predictive capacity by expanding out from the molecular interactions with that piece, with those two pieces. Okay, of metal. okay, I see. You know what I mean? You don't really yeah, gain much. I mean, of course, there's a there's yeah. a huge story to be told, right? Possibly incredibly, you know, complex, but but you don't gain any power over understanding whether that thing's going to open or not. Whereas, mm -hmm. right? Whereas in certain cases, uh, you really gain a lot of power from knowing what happened, right? And that and that tends to be with complex agents. Right, and if we're complex agents making decisions, you are, you are. It will behoove you to know, uh, the, you know, some some history, the, the how much memory do they have going back, and what happened that will then enable you to make rapid predictions about what's about to happen. You know. Okay, I I see what you're getting at. I got you. Well, that that question was actually uh, overlaps and segues into what I was how I was going to respond to uh, what Michael just said. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, deep continuity predicts a continuum uh, and a continuum actually is doing a, a continual trade-off between identity and differentiation. So that maps on exactly uh, well, the notion of a continuum uh, preserves both the, the senses of identity and uh, and differentiation, the, the color continuum, for example. There's identity, but there's also differences, right? Uh, and um, I'm just wondering, though, about is it enough? And I think you were touching on it in your answer to Karen, Michael, to just talk about sort of distance, uh, because 
what was happening in your discussion with Karen, as I saw at the beginning of a distinction between causation and causal relevance, the causal history of anything is the entire previous history of the universe, right? And so uh, this is a problem in, uh, you know, the philosophy of science. What caused the sinking of the Titanic? One of my favorite examples. Well, is it the, the ship hitting the iceberg, the iceberg being a particular size, the iceberg having left Greenland at a particular time, the, you know, the, <laughs> the asteroid impact on, blah, 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 and you get you're right all the way back, right? Um, and so I, I wanted to say, is, is it not also with the distance, uh, also the causal relevance? So if you compare a rock rolling down a hill that change really doesn't make much difference to it being a rock um, in any significant way. The bird not getting the worm can mean the bird dies. And that's causally relevant to the causal integrity of the bird. And therefore, we tend to see the second quite rightly as a decision or a right, whereas the first is just a causal event. Because if we allow choice to map on to causal event, then the only chooser, I sound like Spinoza here, is the entire universe, right? And that and that, that's not explanatory. That doesn't give us anything. I, I think we have to bring it, I, I think, I'm not denying, I'm trying to suggest, is it not only scope, but increased sensitivity to causal relevance that goes with that scope? Because of course, it's not all prediction. That's what the point you just made with the key and the lock. It's predictions that are causally relevant to the identity of the thing that is performing the action. I think that also has to be brought in as a proper dimension for saying this was a, this was a, now again, there's going to be a continuum there. Uh, but I think causal relevance and relevance too, I think. And then once you get autopoetic things, then relevance becomes clearly, you, you can really start to point to causal relevance becomes a particular relevance to an autopoetic system. And then you get, you can start, I think, plausibly giving the notion of need as a real thing. Mm -hmm. The problem with us is we use the word need also for just re relationships of causal necessity, right? Which is, uh, that's, but if we use need in its psychological cognitive sense, then I think we can talk about choice. And so I think I'm suggesting or asking you if you'd be willing to, you know, supplement the distance continuum with the sensitivity to causal relevance uh, yeah. also at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's exactly right. And I think, uh, you know, w w w one of the one of the things that um, here, here's here's a here's a story that uh, that I that I tell uh, as, as a set of hypotheses about the origin of really, um, really basal primitive agents. And, the, and this idea the the upshot, I'll just give you the upshot of this idea. The upshot of this idea is that our human attachment to the idea of uh, will in some sense, meaning agents that do things of agency, I think yeah, is not yeah. some weird quirk of human psychology. I think it goes all the way down to the first bacterium. And I th and here's why. If you are a very primitive agent, imagine, imagine two primitive agents. One sees the world at the lowest level as it really is, according to physicists, right? So it's a Laplacian demon. So every microstate is 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 accessible to it and and what it's going to do is try to um uh it will all, it, it has to it has to deal with all of those all of that information then you've got another agent 
which it be, which it, which is much more that's the one that's going to survive because it's much more realistic about the fact that it doesn't have time and and, yep. and and all the energy it needs to really to really deal with the microstates what it's going to do is coarse grain reality it's going to yes. coarse grain a whole bunch of microstates into things that matter to it things exactly what what you were just saying so i'm going to i'm going to take all these all these different uh, microstates and what they all have in common in physics, nothing. But in, but for me, what they all have in common is I'm going to call them a cat, and that cat is really relevant to me because for, or whatever it's going to be, you know, whatever it's going to be at that scale. What it's looking for are control knobs in the environment that matter, efficient control knobs, right? This is you know this is a set of states that I need to manage because it really matters to me. No, and 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 by in terms of the physics, they may have n n nothing really in common except that uh, if I believe in larger scale. Um, uh, agents, which micro, you know, micro reductionists wouldn't, then I can say, ah, yes, all of this is this thing. And that's what I'm going to measure um, and, and, and manage. So that allows you then that, that's, that's a, um, uh, that's the only kind of living thing that's actually going to survive and make it. The other thing is just not doable totally, in, this, totally. in this universe. Right. And then once you have that lens, once you start out at, by, by looking at your world, as a, a set of large, larger scale objects that do things, you can turn that lens onto yourself and say, wait a minute, I'm an agent that does things. I do things. I don't just respond to, I'm not just a collection of microstates that inevitably follows one from the other. I also do things. You, you will use that same coarse graining on yourself. And yeah. Event, right. And so and so, yes. And so so now the question of what what matters to me and so on eventually will scale up to, to, to humans being able to verbalize this notion of of free will, which is very hard to sort of cash out in terms of physics and whatever. But I think where it comes from is exactly this. It's the it's the realistic limitations on primitive agents that the time and energy that they cannot be Laplacian demons. And so they have to tell stories, meaning build internal models of of other things doing things right other other agents in the environment and in fact themselves doing things because that allows you to make very parsimonious um uh action uh uh, uh you know schemas for behavior and, and algorithms for your own behavior right no not through the microstate for the same reason that we don't deal with microstates all the time it's just so much easier uh and more efficient so and so and so i'm, I'm in full agreement with you that that there might be a zero to this continuum for things that persist no matter what happens like rocks right but that but that but that even very very simple things and i'm i'm not the expert on this but like um carl friston and chris fields and some other folks are 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 working out uh, a, a a way to look at the basic physics of being a thing being an object as a simple version of active inference that basically it goes yeah. quite a ways down right quite like like uh, again, whether there's an actual zero is is you know sort of controversial, and I'm okay with either position at this point. But but really, all the way down, this idea that that active inference is not just for certain kinds of animals and and you know and 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 so on, but but really even cells and possibly molecular networks. I mean, we've done some work on gene regulatory network learning and things like that. But you may not even need to be a cell to do any of this stuff. So you know, I'm 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 with you that that uh, that there may be a zero, and also the fact that. Yeah, the critical thing is the difference that makes a difference to you. That's what's going to, right? That's what's going to drive this 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 coarse graining and ultimately result in a bunch of creatures that really have this perspective, this agential perspective on themselves and then on the outside world too. Right. I tend to measure the increase in cognition with the increase of the relevance realization problem. Mm. Um, mm. So as you start to open up mm. the scope, you start to open up the causal relevance sensitivity, 
And then, but that doesn't go up in a linear way. That goes up exponentially as you start to expand out. Um, um, so um, I, I, I think that for me, that's why there's the deep, the deep connections uh, between relevance, realization, cognition, and agency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Super um, interesting, and you know, and 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 it might be nice to think further of ways to try to uh, measure those things in very unconventional media. For example, yes. I would love to see, uh, we're working on some of this, but but I think we need to have more conversations about this to ask, what does attention and this, what you just said, you know, this, this, this realization of relevance, what does that look like in a uh, set of molecular pathways in a cell, right? So a cell yeah. has, right, it has a surface with a bunch of receptors. Downstream, there's a bunch of machinery that may or may not transduce the effect, the, the signals of those receptors down to, right, down to the, the, the sec, you know, all the, all the transcriptional machinery, everything else. It, it all, everything is expensive. So, so having receptors is expensive. Processing is expensive. So always. It, always, right? And so, and so it has to make these choices. What am I paying attention to? What, yes. which of these things yes. am I yes. going to process, right? So, so I bet we can define some of this stuff and really in a way that um, really allows us to, 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 to estimate it in very unconventional kinds of um, substrates. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, myself and Brad Anderson and Mark Miller, we've just published um, an article in the Journal of Phenomenology and Cognitive Sciences integrating the predictive processing framework and the relevance realization framework mm. and, and uh, interlocking them together, um, which uh, if we could turn then to the question of will and uh, free energy uh, or active inference, um, I, I, I know they're not exactly the same, but they're all predictive processing, free energy and active inference are all bound up like this um, mm. together. Um, so I, I I I just spoke on this literally on Saturday, and I, I can't remember the name. And I read some of the work you sent me by the the mathematician, the mathematical modeler. It starts with an H, showing that higher levels can have causal oh, powers. Eric Eric Hole, yeah, right, right. And so that's what I mean by you don't have a bottom up epiphenomenalism, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you, yes, you are coarse graining, and, and people might people might conclude, oh well, the coarse grain is just a, 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 a an illusion of partial information. But it's no, 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 no. Yes, sort of. You're losing something, but you also gain causal powers, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and so it's also top down, uh, which yep. also adds that gives more ontological oomph to the notion of will, or at least I would prefer self determination. Um, here's why: um, the notion of will has been traditionally associated with sort of a phenomenological experience of mental effort that was turned into an explicit measured scientific psychological theory by Ro 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 Roy Bowmeister called willpower. Mm -hmm. um, big thing, book came out in 2012, all this stuff. And, and it, it seemed to track even something like, uh, he called it ego depletion, which seemed to track into sort of metabolic expenditure. And people were, and people were all uh, enthusiastic about this because it seemed to really capture that mm -hmm. sort of sense of mental effort, right? And then the problem is, it is completely evaporated in the replication crisis. This notion of will, the, the, and I'm not denying the phenomenologic experience, but the notion that that somehow tracks something that's causally central, right, re, has largely disappeared because of the replication crisis. Hmm. But that doesn't mean, it, don't, don't misunderstand me, that doesn't invalidate anything of what you just claimed, right? It, it's that we have to be very careful talking about how self-determining a system might be uh, with whether or not that uh, can be attributed to the sense of mental effort that is typically 
you know, one of the defining features of the modern notion of willpower. So I wanted to know what you thought about that, because, um, you know, there, there, for example, there are famous philosophers who talk tremendously about self-determination, like Spinoza, who deny anything like uh, freedom of the will. Um, and then you have all the compatibilists, etc. And so I was wondering um, just what you meant by that term. Uh, do you mean that the degree to which Here's how I would describe self-determination, just to give you something more concrete uh, to, to, uh, to, 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 to use. A system is self-determining to the degree to which the most causally relevant, not cause, the most causally relevant factor of its explanation is its own patterns of dynamic self-organization. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a self-determining system, mm -hmm. right? That, we can track that, right, um, given what I just said. And that doesn't require the phenomenological sense of something like mental effort, being uh, a, being an unmoved mover within oneself, or all of these very, very problematic notions. And I'm wondering if when you invoked, an, I know, Michael, you're well aware of the long-standing free will determinism debate. And it sounds to me like you might be actually separating the phenomenological sense from self-determination, or maybe you aren't. And that's the question I'm asking you. What, what like, what do you, did, did that question make sense to you? First yeah, of all? yeah, yeah. No, it, it made complete sense. And, and, and I'm, I'm on board with, with your definition. Here, here's how I visualize this. I think like, like, for example, in, um in, in uh, one of, one of Dan Dennett's early books on, on free will, he basically make points out the following, which is, uh which is a very simple, logical uh, distinction. He says, look, uh when, when you zoom into any event that happens, there are only two possible things that we that we know about. One is determinism, meaning it was caused by some previous event. The other is true quantum randomness, meaning it really is it, it is in a fundamental sense a causal. So a particular particle either d d decays or it doesn't, and there literally is nothing prior that explains this. In the ensemble, there's statistics, but for each individual, not that's it. There's we know of nothing else. And his argument is, well, neither of those things sounds like what we want from free will. You don't want to be determined and you don't want to be random. That's not free will. So then yeah. he says, therefore our concept is, you know, it's sort of like Santa Claus. It's it just isn't co it's not a coherent, you know, not not a coherent concept. Okay. So here's so here's my my take on this. I think that um uh he's right, of course, if you zoom in. If you zoom into yeah. physics, no big shocker. All you see is physics. However, I, uh, I, what, what I think we really mean by free will is something that, uh, and a, and a, and a free choice and action and, and you know free action and all that stuff is not is is something that only makes sense. So here's and and this is all still under development. So I'll probably disagree with myself, you know, a month from now. But we'll see. Uh, <laughs> right for now, you know, for for now, I think that what we actually mean by a free a free action is not anything that can be applied to a temporally narrow event. I think that yeah. free action is stretched over long periods of time. And so the way I so the way I imagine is this. Imagine a bunch of slices almost the way you would do um the, the way they do in uh, in 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 special relativity where 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 the, the time time is you know these slices of this of this bread, you know, sliced yeah. sliced along, right? So the deal is in any one slice whatever is going on at any one slice is very tightly determined by things you have no control over. I mean, what, what is the next thought you're going to have? You don't control your next thought. Your next thought is whatever it pops up. That's what it, it at, at the moment, that's what pops up. However, over long periods of time, what you yeah. have control over is the uh, statistical spectrum of the kinds of thoughts you are likely to have. Now yes. this is right. And now, so, so, so your free will is exercised over 
years not 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 because hey i i was able to choose my next thought because because right you know those things are not under your control but what is under your control is that if you apply consistent effort meaning that whether this be through some sort of contemplative practice whether this is right and and you know and this many many traditions are are on board with this what they're saying is the important thing is consistently showing up and doing and and not getting tied into right any any sort of um win or loss over over your 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 wild uh, you know sort of mind at any one point but it's just show up do the thing every uh every every you know every day and eventually you will alter yourself you will alter your cognition to be something that has more of the right kinds of thoughts right maybe maybe yeah. you're you're studying and you'll be smarter maybe you're in anger management you'll be less impulsive whatever but it isn't anything you can control now it's consistent effort and so 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 free will only is so, so the way i picture it is we are a collection of these selflets right we are not full selves at any slice of time because yep. because mostly what's in charge there is your experiences to date and your body chemistry and what you had for breakfast and the you know the twinkies you've been eating you know that screw up your 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 whatever so right yeah. so so that's yeah so so that's that's true on a on a on a very short term basis but on the long term basis you become a self by like they do in calculus you integrate these infinitesimals and right and so very infinitely tiny things in, in when when you integrate under the curve eventually end up something that's that's not zero right that's that's got some some depth to it so so that and you can think about how that might play out in uh in in thinking about um social uh notions of of blame right so somebody might say uh you know i uh, i can't um uh, I, I don't, I don't uh, you know, I wasn't able to, to do anything about this. And yes, at the moment, that's true. But over the last year, it was on you to have done X, Y, Z so that you could have done this, right? It's sort of, sort of that kind of notion that, yeah, at the moment, of course, having, you know, uh, having not prepped for this at all, right, you couldn't have done anything else. But what you're actually to blame for is putting yourself, you know, failing to do certain things over time, or in the case of maybe drug addiction or something else, doing things over a long period of time that get you to a point where, yeah, of course, during that moment, you couldn't have done anything different. And so then maybe the decision isn't about, you know, the the value judgment isn't about what you did at that moment, which is, which is, that's the part, you know, everybody's like freaked out that neuroscience is going to screw up this, this notion of, of, of blame, because we're all going to get to the point where everybody will just say, well, that's what my that's what my neurotransmitters were doing. What 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 do you think I could have? What do you think I could have done at that moment? That that's a that's a fair story. The question is, how did we get here? How did we right? How did we you know? How did we get here? So that's so that's my current version of 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 a notion of free will. It's that simply it's not something that applies uh, when you zoom in to space and time. It only applies to an extended being that has the opportunity every day to make tiny little choices that eventually will modify your structure or, or not or fail to in the right way. I think that's uh, uh, I, th I think that's really good. Um, that you, you, it's a, it's a four e cog psi answer. You yeah. the notion of extension, um, extendedness from different temporal slices of the same person or same entity. Um, uh, Sean Gallagher makes exactly the same argument explicitly in in activist interventions uh, that we're looking at the wrong scale for free will. That we're looking at you know the way Sam Harris does in his book at sort of the moment to moment thing. Um, uh, I mean, you can go if you go moment to moment, David Hume, you can make causation go away. Uh, yeah. If you go moment to moment, Zeno, you can make time and yeah, motion yeah. go away. I mean, like we know that this that we this method has its flaws and, and um, can make things seem illusory that uh, would 
be you know fundamentally detrimental to any kind of realistic understanding uh, of of, rea- of of the world. Um, so I agree with that. Um, and think about you know can we you know the hyper objects on different time scales like evolution, like mm-hmm. moment to moment I can't see it. I mean, yeah. that was one of the silly refutations that people initially made with to Darwin's yeah. theory. Well, science is based on observation, and I can't actually observe evolution occurring. I can't see it or touch it, so therefore, it's not real. And it's like that's ridiculous. I mean, right? They're like that 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 makes no sense. That's that, you're 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 not taking a look at it at the correct scale. Now, if we admit that, which I heard you saying, and you're nodding, so I take it that I'm reading you okay. Then it sounds to me like you're invoking, and this is my response to Gallagher, and I made in when I was talking about this with Dan Champy. I mean, you're bringing back Aristotle's notion of character. This was his notion, right? That what we we it's not the moment to moment, what what right? But what can happen is our abilities at self determination and self organizing can modify the virtual engines, the selective and enabling constraints at multiple levels that shift around the probability spaces, which is what I hear you saying, the dispositional space, so that we more and more are likely to behave in a virtuous fashion. That's character. Um, And then one of the interesting things is, uh, you know, one of the interesting notions of rationality that we've largely lost due to the dominance of a a purely computational model of rationality is that rational agents are agents that can be held responsible for their character, which is what you were invoking in the court of law. It's like, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, I get it, the moment-to-moment thing. But the the thing that's actually relevant here, notice my word, is how have you been cultivating your character? And, yeah. and I'm allowed yeah. to hold you responsible for cultivating your character because you are, to some degree, a self-determining, self-organizing thing. Doesn't mean there's a ghost in the machine or anything like that, but you do have character. And, and so I was wondering what you thought about that yeah. As, yeah. as an important dividing line. I, it, it seems to me... That that's a distinction we make uh, when we when we bring in the, the notion of a person, which is where the whole debate around free will usually lands. But the idea is uh, a person is an entity that can be held responsible for its character because the most causally relevant explanation of a lot of its behavior is the degree to which it has right generated its own character. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly right. And 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 notice on a, on a practical level, uh, there are two 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 pieces to this. One is that um, that that view is exactly what you want in terms of practical uh, judgments in the legal yes. system, because right, because because however it is that you've shaped your cognitive apparatus, th- that's a pretty good uh, um, uh, guide to what you're going to do in the future. So the point yeah. isn't that oh my god there was a meteor strike and now because of that I you know this happened and that's never going <laughs> to happen again. No, if, if you know if we can tell a story about why what you just did is a is a reasonable feature of your cognitive apparatus, that's really what we want to know. Is are you going to do this like how likely is it that this is going to happen again? And that's based on that we make some decisions about what you know what what we're going to do. Uh, the other aspect of this is again you, you, the extent to which any of this makes sense is strongly influenced by the extent to which your conspecifics, you know, other humans or whatever we're dealing with, are paying attention to this. And that serves as um, uh, a, a kind of, an, an, uh, that, that, that serves to modify their behavior, right? In society, yes. that's what you kind of want. Because if you're dealing with creatures that are not able to modify themselves based on uh, experiences, there's no point in rewarding or punishing anybody. It's it's not going to serve any kind of function. You can sort of wall off the ones that are behaving asocially or whatever, but but there's no notion of 
right? There's no notion of 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 you're doing this to uh, to to improve things in the future if they can't learn, right? So to be a person, one of the things you have to be able to do is uh, is 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 observe that and say, mm, okay, I better right. I'm going to now take actions. I see I see how we're all doing this, and now I'm going to take actions that will be a so you know sort of more pro 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 social or whatever. So those are very practical. Right. The, the, the capacity of doing that, if you're dealing with, you know, a bunch of, uh, I don't know, snails or something, that's just never going to impact their future behavior. Then it's, it's, it's just not going to happen. Exactly. So now I want to put the two together. Uh, and I know we're almost running out of time, but so you can have increased sensitivity to causal relevance. And then you can have a character that determines your sensitivity and your responses. And perhaps, and, and part of that is what it is to be rational is to is to uh, be responsible for your character. Couldn't we think now, therefore, that there's a proper place for wisdom as the cultivation of a character that enhances one's capacities for zeroing in on what is most causally relevant in an optimal and ongoing fashion? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's right on. And from a from a kind of um uh from a, from an eastern point of view we just um, a few colleagues and i just yeah. uh pu right published something on on the expansion of this 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 notion of this buddhist vow that is basically the commitment to in, to to enlarge your cognitive light cone right yes. so yeah, you're going, yes. you're, right you're going along you wow. know during evolution right and your light cone is getting bigger and bigger but at some point you get sophisticated enough that you can actually sort of circle back and realize that and say i am now going to put effort not towards specific goals but towards the meta goal of being able to have bigger goals such that you, you know, I don't right now I'm capable in the linear range yeah. of caring about the, the, the well-being of, you know, 10 people in my family and that's about it, but I'm going to now work on expanding my cognitive system so that I now can have in the linear range, compassion towards thousands, millions, all the, you know, all of them. Right. Which, which, so, so that, that, so they have a concept, right. So, so, so these Eastern traditions often have this, this concept of, literally committing yourself to the goal of being able to have bigger goals specifically with respect to to compassion let's say yeah uh, well that's excellent that sounds like I'd, I'd like to read that that sounds like a profound convergence with what i just proposed to you uh which cool. i uh, well it's interesting how you know we we, we 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 stepped out of sort of a, a strict linear hierarchy but we were nevertheless able to say i think some together right good dialogos co-emergence we yeah. were able to stay yeah. together uh, important things about these different levels um you know and that um i think are very relevant uh towards um well for me addressing the meaning crisis because the 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 tightness and 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 i mean this deeply the continuity that we were uncovering mm -hmm. there um really helps to rehome us i think back into the scientific worldview i mean we, we were able to talk about persons and wisdom and character in a way that didn't sound like we were dusting off old medieval scholasticism, but we are something that weaves very tightly into uh, the emerging scientific worldview. Is that a fair thing to say? Would you agree I with? I, I I would. I think I think there are there are there are a number of recent tools, and I apologize in about a minute. I really do have to run. Um, yeah. There are a number of tools that have come online that that really reframe all those ancient things, right? So, so this is the 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 causal information theory from from yeah. Tononi and Hole and those folks, right? There's the um all the active the 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 very quantitative active inference stuff, right? That's available now. Those frameworks, and finally taking uh seriously uh embryonic development and evolution both 
as a gradual and, and having to tell stories about what actually happens. Where does the goal directedness of development come from? When you start with a pool of cells that are happy as individual cells, how does it scale up? So these mechanistic, and now we have some actually mechanisms behind it. So this is, I think you're exactly right. It's not just a dusting off of that stuff. We are now able to see all this in a very um, practical in the sense that it applies to regenerative medicine. There are the, you know, to, to building AIs and so on. It's, it's, we're in a different phase of this whole thing now, I think. It's been a great pleasure, Michael. You too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, thank you uh, to you both. Let's um, let's be in touch. It sounds like we need to exchange some um, some papers for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very much. Thank Sounds you very good. much for putting thank this together. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, this is Karen. great. I love the way it ended. You guys have a great day. Awesome. Thank you. Talk soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye bye.